0: This is The Shift Podcast. Today on The Shift Daily Podcast, BC is about to decriminalize hard drug possession and will that change the opioid crisis? Garth Mullins, an advocate for safe drug supply, tells us how decriminalization impacts users, maybe crime, and why the bill has its fans and opponents, and what more is needed to keep people from dying of drug overdoses. It's a fascinating conversation that challenges some of the stories and stigma we have, it's gonna make you feel uncomfortable a little bit, and that's probably good. I think that's where the learning starts. And are you okay with Zeller's again? Again, because we've had a lot of Zeller's, and this time, you're gonna wanna hear it because we're talking about Zeller's food and the Zeller's restaurant. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. the last couple of years i've learned an awful lot about drugs like legit learning about drugs and it's the first time it's never really been my um bag or baggy i guess you could say um and i've learned a lot from garth mullins who joins us now he's an advocate for safe drug supply and all around wicked dude and pretty great musician
1: um uh, hey garth great to see you bud hey thanks shane thanks for having me back
0: uh, is this a good day coming up or a not good day coming up? And if you don't know, anybody else doesn't know why, I'll explain in a second.
1: You know, I think it's it's a mixed day. And we have a lot of those because, uh, you know, people in in my little community have been fighting for uh, a path out of the death for, uh, you know, almost a generation now. So, you know, we get a step. We don't get the whole way there but uh yeah the 31st of january in british columbia anyway is a bit of a step it's the government making a concession to uh, a demand we've had for a long time to decriminalize uh, ourselves basically
0: yeah so bc will decriminalize up to 2.5 grams of hard drugs um and so step in the right direction and this is why we have Garthon to understand uh, what is going on, and for those who have never met Garth here on The Shift before, uh, Garth's background is, um, and I've always try to get this language right, Garth, so your correction please, um, a drug user um, and advocate for safe drug supply, not reckless drug use by any means. I think it's safe to say, Garth, that you're pragmatic about the fact that uh, drugs are here, and um, we need to protect the people, and we start to protect them by at least allowing the healing to start with the trust that the drugs that are out there are safe is is that a fair quick summary
1: sure i mean i've lived through two overdose crises in bc that have been officially declared this one and the one in the 90s plus the big hiv outbreak here that was the biggest in the industrial world and uh, i just want to get to a kind of drug policy that doesn't cause people death that doesn't Mm -hmm. sort of shove people into the grave you know um so i've been working on that for a long time yeah
0: well since we talk about shoving people around let's start there um we've seen such a migration if you will the problems of drug use have been deferred around vancouver with Through the pandemic, we saw it very uh, the fractures of the things that you've been talking about for a long time, the different kinds of uh, drug users started to get exposed through the pandemic because people were in different situations and access to, to the different kinds of drugs and, and where they were using and the kinds of people that were using. And then not to mention the lack of people downtown has also caused a shift of where people are and what kind of help they're getting and where. So there's been all of that pushing around, if you will, That's been happening, too. I thought I would ask, uh, give it to me straight, because I think we're hearing an awful lot of, you know, municipalities saying, we're doing good. This is happening. But then at the same time, we see um, some wild things happening um, with Tent City and all the things that happen in Vancouver. And this, by the way, translates directly to all other cities. This is not just Vancouver. But
1: as an example,
0: be pragmatic. Uh, What's been changing? What are we seeing today?
1: I mean, <clears throat> the continuity is what I really notice, you know, whether it's uh, Alberta or Saskatchewan or British Columbia, Ontario, uh, wherever, Canada, the U.S., the fundamentals are are still in place. Like the drug war is still continuing. And um, there have been, uh, you know, in some places, little minor tweaks around the sides, little pilot programs, little small experiments, um, but n- not in a big enough or serious enough or widespread enough way to actually make a difference in the massive overdose deaths. So, you know, people like to compare BC, this wild lefty place in Alberta, this very conservative place, but really <laughs> both agree on the fundamentals of, you know, they're keeping the drug war going. It's just in BC, they like to be a little more polite about it. In Alberta, they're just a little more honest about it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like the politics, the linear line that so many people look at politics really goes full circle on this topic, hey?
1: I mean, sometimes there just happens to be a lot of consensus between uh, different parties in Canada. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the rest of the world, there's there's actually more, uh, a wider breadth of policy options put before voters, but not here, not, not in Canada. It's a very relatively narrow bandwidth. I think people that come here from other places are surprised that we don't have like a real party of the left. You know, we have a kind of a, a liberal-ish party and uh, then a liberal party and a conservative party. And, you know, right. I, I... so.
0: Yeah. Well, in the politics, of course, when you get into provincial politics, you get one province where the liberal party is more like a conservative party. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like it's, it's just wild. Um, uh, Garth Mullins here joins us on the shift. Okay, 2.5 grams. The quote includes cocaine, methamphetamine, MDMA, opioids. 2.5 grams. Um, you got to be 18, because if you're younger than 18, um, that's not okay. In BC, provincial statute only... Like you said, Garth, a bit of a step in the right direction, but 2.5 grams as a non drug user, that makes no sense to me. I don't even know what that is. Is
1: that an afternoon? Is that like, is that a weekend? I don't know. Well, you know, back in the day for me, that would be a couple days, and we're supposed to be thinking of a three day supply, right? So people aren't just supposed to be decriminalized for what they might have on them in a moment, but what they could have on them for a three day supply. Cause right. a lot of people, you know live in rural places they got to stock up they can't be going down to their drug dealer every every right. 20 minutes or well, something like that you
0: buy cigarettes by mm-hmm. the package too right
1: sure absolutely yeah in fact i think it's illegal to sell them as lucy's now you know so mm. uh so i mean yes uh 2.5 grams is for some people that will decriminalize them for other people it won't and Particularly since fentanyl has become such a common drug in Canada's drug supply and and really replaced heroin in a lot of places. Uh, back in the day, you could use uh, heroin; it would last you for twelve hours. You'd go off, have a day, go to work, do whatever, um, you know. Uh, and maybe uh, you need another hit twelve hours later or something like that. Not not fentanyl-based uh, dope. You know, it's it's very fast. It goes through you quick. It doesn't have legs, so you're you know, you're using eight, 10 times a day. And of course that adds up to more weight, you know, you're using and buying more weight. And so the 2.5 grams we did warn them from very early on, isn't really going to decriminalize the people with the biggest habits, the most kind of entrenched drug users. In fact, the most criminalized uh, drug users. Mm -hmm. So we we did try to lobby with uh, both the provincial and the federal government, you know, for a a proper role in decision-making on this. Uh, Also, um, you know, you think about the classics like Coke, meth, hair on fentanyl those are all on the list and that's great um but mdma that was a surprise to me and sure good I I mean I do think this kind of decriminalization should be extended to a full suite of drugs unfortunately benzodiazepines were not uh decriminalized and that has been another contaminant that's made its way into the drug supply just as fentanyl did, uh, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Uh benzodiazepines is now. It's something called benzodope. It's it's in a lot of places, it's definitely all over British Columbia. I'm pretty sure Alberta, Ontario. Uh and so <clears throat> they kind of missed that. Uh, and and I think it was just not not listening to us. So it's mm-hmm. it's gonna give the cops problems because they're gonna say, they're gonna look at this stuff, they <clears throat> get out of somebody, and they're gonna be like, Oh, I what how do I figure out what this is, you know? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, and Benzodope, I mean, uh, if I know, if I've heard of Benzodope, there's not, because I'm, it's not in my world. There's no reason why politicians shouldn't have heard of it. That's Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, the original ask was 4.5 grams. They went with 2.5 grams. What's the difference really is, is it that, that weekend, if you will, that three day look? Um, and, and why do you think that they went down with it to 2.5?
1: Well, I mean, we, we even originally put, put forward, uh, uh, numbers that were higher than that. We we didn't suggest the numbers to them. We just did a survey of Vandu's own membership. You know, um, we're 25 years old, 3000 members. So we have a lot of expertise built up in this and we just showed them, these are the kind of amounts that people are in our membership are carrying. We said the more rural you get further away from like the downtown east side of Vancouver, the more people might be carrying because there's not a, a local drug dealer so conveniently located. So, uh, you know, I asked them, there were cops sitting on this uh, committee with the government and all this stuff. And I said, look, who do you guys, who do you guys want to arrest? Like who you want to go after, right? Like if we're decriminalizing, why don't we flip the script and not just figure out who do we want to let free? It's who's your enemy? Who are you targeting? And they all said, oh, the dealers, the big time dealers. And I said, well, fine. Grams is the wrong metric then. Talk about, you know, kilograms or, (laughs) you know, maybe ounces. I, I don't know, but like grams, no, this is too small. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to think about dealers, you think about what dealers do you want to catch? Do you want to catch some guy who's just, you know, selling a bit of dope for his own habit? Or are you trying to get the big time fish? And they're like, oh, the big time fish. And I'm like, well, why don't you choose a a level that makes sense for that then? Uh, but they, the police really wanted a very low level. They wanted one gram. So, uh, the police were sort of using the big scary dealer, you know, the Pablo Escobar, the movie drug Lord as kind of this, um, you know talking point like this 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 thing to motivate fear a little bit and of course one of the problems we've noticed with the crackdowns on the dealers i mean every time the police go to crack down really hard they leave these gaps and vacuums in the drug supply chain and of course people compete and sometimes violently to fill that so it creates violence creates a bunch of suffering amongst drug users and then there's this also this arms race to find something that's harder for the police to crack down on. So that's how we went from heroin to fentanyl, is police cracking down on fentanyl. In fact, we got to heroin by police cracking down on opium way back in the day. So we've been in this uh, washing machine rinse cycle of police crackdowns and harder forms of drugs, more police crackdowns, harder forms of drugs now for, my God, like 115 years in Canada. And and so we're we're not really for go after the dealers, right? We're just for replace all of it with uh, a safe, safer pharmaceutical uh, n- drug supply with known constituents, known components, known potency, instead of just the Wild West, this unregulated uh, sell-it-anywhere-take-it-anywhere kind of drugs, you know?
0: Yeah, I get that. Um, One question, this is, I'm going to take a little sidebar. I do want to come back to that weight conversation, but a little sidebar on that is that you've always said to me, and you taught me this, you know, that not only does this potentially at least start kicking the ball down the hill on drug use hospitals uh death all of this stuff but it also takes a big bite out of crime because you know you start to that vacuum you're talking about right um but do you really think because i mean you have the experience you have you know your your colleagues that you guys are on when you talk about this stuff do you really think that criminals who sell drugs will stop being criminals though and um because, I mean, drugs is sort of the easy way. And to me, I guess that I don't think it fixes crime because criminals will still be criminals. They'll just find something else to be criminal with.
1: I mean, maybe. Yeah, it's totally don't. I don't really know. But I know that, you know, most people that I've met in jail did weren't born and thought, I want to be a criminal. And whatever it is, whatever it is, I'll do it. You know, like uh, I I don't I don't think that's what happens. I think people uh, are are poor, have to support their own habit, have no alternatives, blah, blah, blah. There's lots of reasons why people uh, get into crime. But you're you're right. If you take drugs out of the gas tank of organized crime, it may go somewhere else. And we've certainly seen organized crime has a great role in sort of, um, well, all stratas of society. You know, we've had uh, we've had a lot of uh, white collar uh, crime in British Columbia that kind of goes. Uh, You know, all over the country, we're kind of widely known as an open shop for all kinds of um, real estate swindles and stock market stuff. And, uh, you know, we even have a big uh, oligarchical sort of uh, telecom situation, which, of course, is not going to be illegal because that's how we set it up. But I mean it's how you define crime, right? Like when I was 19 and I first got arrested for felony drug possession in the U.S., I went to jail and I was in a big American jail with tons of other dudes. Most people were in there for something to do with drugs, right? So we were criminals, but not because we wanted to be, the law had defined us as criminals. Now, some people in there had done uh, other shit too, but the drugs was the big uniting thing. Mm-hmm. So not only if you take a uh, Drugs out of the, um, you know, the illegal market, you change who's defined as a criminal, you change, obviously, who's going to die. But you also, you know, change the whole dynamics around that. I just, I mean, I don't know that this people will just want to do crimes. I mean, I mean, remember this Canadian band called the Fun Loving Criminals? (laughs)
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Love
1: that. Band. <laughs> they had a hit called uh like running around robbing banks all whacked out on scooby snacks or something scooby snacks man. and and there are i'm sure there are people like that but i haven't really met them i've just mostly met people who are trying to get by you know right
0: yeah yeah and I, I it is a curious notion it's probably a balance of all things as things tend to always work out uh in a balance so that some people are in drugs to be in drugs and it's just like i always say about you know you know, jerks are jerks and crooks will be crooks. So it doesn't mean that everybody who's breaking the law is a crook, right? Um, But the crooks will still be crooks, but the people that don't want to do it anymore, they'll just go back to being the other part. So it's such an amazing look at it all. Garth Mullins is here. Uh, The the, the point of the conversation is to understand what is going on in BC. BC has a decriminalization up to 2.5 grams of hard drugs. It does include cocaine, methamphetamine, MDMA, opioids, and more. Now, Here, I was thinking about downtown, Garth. So 2.5 drugs means that somebody who lives in Abbotsford might, they might, they might go downtown to get their drugs. They might have to. That could be a bit of a stretch, but at least you get the principle. Um, So a guy from Abbotsford goes downtown, he's got to get his drugs. But if he's going downtown 2.5 grams at a time, you know, to, to avoid this, uh, that's not good, right? Because that means he's coming downtown more often.
1: And if that's up that the case, Highway then, one that's always so full of uh, traffic,
0: yeah. um, but I mean, it's it does tend to the smaller number to your point. I mean, I'm not suggesting everyone should have a free pass for their own personal use of like Costco sized drug pickup by any means. but at the same time, if it's bringing more people downtown more often to buy drugs, realizing also that it's not the only place, but it's a common place to go. Wouldn't that just create and more of a problem in those areas that you've already seen all along? When you're just bringing more people to those places more often, wouldn't it be safer if they were able to come in, get their stuff for the week, and then get out and and not come back for a bunch of days?
1: Yeah, I think so. We we argued for a higher higher thresholds because of this sort of thing, so that people can stock up just just like they do in Costco, right? Like I think people should be able to buy bulk so that they can save money. Drugs are expensive. You you really can wind up uh, quite uh broke <laughs> as i have many times uh yeah. because of that you know so I, and 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 people in abbotsford shouldn't be coming all the way in here there's drug dealers in abbotsford but i i mean there's uh there's good reasons to have uh a, a level uh, that that threshold that's set uh by uh you know evidence by what people are buying, what people are using, uh, you know, drug users. If it's possession for use that they're decriminalizing, then they should find out what what is it that people are using, what are they holding, what's a three day supply for real. We tabled a lot of that evidence. Unfortunately, the police were busy lobbying with the government ministers, and and they were uh, more effective lobbyists than we were, and held the day. So they got a lower uh, a lower threshold. But this is a foot in the door, right? Um, so I, I am. Like my job is to look to the future. Like that's the role that I play with the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users. The, the elected board said, this is your this is one of your files to work on for these few years, decriminalization. Um, you know, I've been involved in it for a long time. First meeting I went to on decrim was 1998. But uh, we we see uh, into the future, we look into the future. So we're always going to be critical of the, the present reform as not enough. But at the same time, man, this is kind of a big deal. You know, it's yeah. like, we like. I kind of want to say congratulations, for... <laughs> but I
0: kind of want to say, don't quit. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, no,
1: fair enough. And it's and a thank strange you, place because when any, uh, community is able to organize itself well enough that the government has to start taking up their demands as policy. Um, that's a good day. You know, even if it's only the beginning of that, taking up of, uh, that demand, even if it's only a first sort of watered down, uh, not as good as we want version, but, uh, you know that's a good day and and of course we didn't just make this up we also worked with a lot of academics we looked at other jurisdictions around the world that have done uh decriminalization we looked at the results so we've been fighting from a um we've been fighting from a real base of evidence and and knowledge and just lived experience but you know so it is it, there is something on uh January 31st that feels good yeah
0: yeah and it's a, it's a strange place to be because it's not what you asked for but it is a start and, um, and the cool part, I think, Garth, for the people that aren't familiar with this world, and maybe this conversation is new to them going, what are you talking about? You know, legalizing drugs and making it okay. Um, it's it's not about making it okay. It's about making sure that the right people get the help they need. And the people who don't deserve to get hurt, don't get hurt. I mean, that's what I've learned in this conversation. At the same for, time, though.
1: For me, though, um, yeah. this is about getting the cops out of our lives. Now, now, I don't know if if people out there have had experience with the police, maybe, you know, some people I know of I mean, maybe only encountered cops like uh, three or four times in their life, like speeding tickets and stuff like that. But I mean, I've I've had interactions, hundreds of interactions with cops, it must be. And that's like not unusual for someone who's a wired, who's been a daily drug user for a long time. You know, the arrests, the drug seizures, the sort of uh, shakedowns and carting you and this and that. Um that changes your life, right? That means you are the cops. You can never call the cops. Like I can never Hmm. call the cops when the guy down the hall for me is, is, uh, getting violent or something like that. I got to go sort that shit out myself. I can't call the cops. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do if they're going to roll in and shoot the guy or something, but also, I don't know if they're going to, you know, jack me up and what will happen to me. So we have to live our lives outside of um a lot of the norms a lot of access to the justice system and all that sort of thing uh for whatever it's worth um we're we're not able to do that and you also have to um be evasive you know you have to look out for them you have to try and keep away from them uh it changes how you lead your life so it real decriminalization like the full meal deal would be inviting us back to rejoin society you know would be saying uh look we're no longer going to lock the gates and tell you that you're outside
0: Hmm. Well, and the evidence will start to present itself, even though it's not as much as was hoped. Um, it, it seems to me to be enough of should have an impact on some healthcare stuff. Should have an impact on exactly what you're talking about perpetuating the problem. It should have an impact on um, you know, just the basic uh, I, hooligan arrest stuff, if you will, if who, the 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 hooliganism that goes on. And at the same time, um, you know, inside in and around you know, just people go on getting arrested and the availability of police to go deal with things that are very important uh that are going on that they might not be able to get to. Um like you talked about violence or whatever. Like let them do the things that they they're they're good at. Um Yeah, and so I mean if it if can if open people up a lot still, of things.
1: If people are still smashing up windows and being hooligans, that's still illegal and people can still get arrested for that, right? But there's just right. there's no need to throw a jug char- a drug charge on top of that. Um I I often notice the you know that i lived in east Van for a long time and after a big uh football game or uh you know some some big weekend in the summer or something there's a lot of shit smashed up it tends to be from people who are drunk you know so uh the the legality or illegality of the substance doesn't seem to uh, have that much effect but i think the success of this will be measured on do we see less arrests less police stopping people less people's drugs getting seized less people's money getting seized uh, less people getting fired for having a charge on them. Less people getting uh, fenced off from the employment world because they got a charge on them. Uh, less people's kids getting snatched because they got uh, by the by you know by the welfare system, but because they have a charge on them. If we see those kind of changes, th- those are all related to policing, right? Then that mm-hmm. will show that we are making progress on this. If we look for changes instead over in, are more people getting treatment? Are more people getting clean or whatever? Well, that's kind of unrelated. You know, right. um, you, you go ahead and make, make more treatment and promote that and everything like that, but it's not really the same thing. You know what I mean? Whether you go get treatment or not, or whether you're facing the cops or not, these are kind of different things. This decriminalization alone is not going to, uh, end the overdose crisis either. We need to, we need to address the drug supply. We need to give those uh safer known pharmaceutical drugs to replace the street supply. Decriminalization isn't about that, but still getting cops out of our lives even if it's only out of some of our lives, that's still a good step. And for the individual who is, you know, freed from the police, that's life-changing.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it does make me wonder when you talk about it that way, that, um, you know, how many people accidentally get themselves in trouble just trying to stay away and stay out of trouble, but then they accidentally get in trouble, just circumstance happens. Um, and that would be curious as well. Uh, I think Ballons you're absolutely here, right. Yeah. yeah like you never know right like it's the time where you try to avoid traffic and then you're yeah, getting up in a fender bender <laughs> like it's sometimes life happens like well here's
1: that. the example that's really common we know about this is that people will um if they if they have to sneak off and do their drugs do their hit um they'll do it quicker uh they'll do it more like rush it and they'll do it all yeah. at once instead of in little bits because they're worried about the cops interrupting them so that's more dangerous yeah. they'll do it alone Makes sense. they'll do it alone
0: yeah, and and that and then and we've seen how many people get in trouble with that too. It's yeah. fascinating. Hey, Garth, it's great to have you back. It's been a, a minute since we've been able to chat. Always appreciate you and um, BC decriminalizing two point five grams. January thirty first is the day, and uh, time will tell. And hopefully, some momentum in the right direction.
1: Thanks, Shane. Take it easy. Stay safe. Keep six. This is the Shift Podcast.
0: Are you okay with Zellers again? Again. 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 Um, again. We're talking about we've Zellers again. Of, yeah, we've had a lot of Zellers on Are You Okay With these days.
2: Yeah. I mean, if, just to reestablish, oh, very much okay with Zellers. Okay with the prices. Yep. Okay with the sort of 2000s, late 90s aesthetics of Canada's department store. Uh, and uh, all the memories of the incredible and unbeaten Lego aisle, Zellers, is a win for me.
0: All right. Well, and so Zellers was open, then Zellers was closed, and then the Zellers stores became targets, and then that died, and then there was talk of Zellers coming back again, and then there was websites of Zellers coming back again, and then poof. They announced that Zellers is coming back again. We have covered the return of Zellers here on The Shift more than many other things. And just to create some contrast of what this is all about, some nostalgia. Double Z points on this, double Z points on
1: that. If Zellers double Z point days get any more popular at the club, I'm going to have to double stretch my stretched limo. And of course, you know, if you can find a lower current Canadian advertised price on anything that Zeller sells, they'll beat that price and to top it all off, devil's Z point days are twice as good at Zeller's because the lowest price is the law.
0: If you think back to where Zeller's was back then, they were doing points programs and loyalty programs. It was actually in a Zeller's that we signed up for air miles for the first time way back in the way back in the day with my mom and I, you know, these, they were way ahead of their time and they seem to lose their way cause they, they shut down the store. But really, if you look at where things are today with winners and home and Marshall's and all those places, Zeller's was there long before. Yeah, and you know what else there was there is
2: I when I was pouring through the archives, I have an archive of, of Zeller's commercials saved mm. just in case it comes up, and one yeah. of them is for the for Z, the Z card, the credit card mm. that you could get a Zeller's Z Z point card. And that I feel like that must've been pretty new back then because now you can get a credit card for half
0: for every retail
2: stores everywhere. Anytime I go to Walmart these days, somebody comes up to me and asks me if I want to get a Walmart credit card. And I feel mm-hmm. like sellers was probably one of the first to do it.
0: That's because you're young and fresh faced when your face looks all beaten down and exhausted. Like mine, they're like, Oh no, he's got enough debt. I can see it in his
2: eyes." I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Okay, Not so we attention. have an update on Zeller's revival. One of the things you, the shifthead community, has said to us repeatedly is, I'm in on Zeller's if the restaurant comes back because I want to go to the restaurant. I miss the restaurant the most. Hudson's Bay Co. first announced plans to revive Zeller's back in August of last year. Now, they're going to return as an e-commerce site for sure to reach all Canadians and an in-store experience at select Hudson Bay stores across the country. Bit of a test, I reckon. And if it goes well, I'm sure they will expand it. Many Canadians wondered if the restaurant was going to come back too. And we can officially confirm now that yes, it's coming back, sort of. Kind of like the Zellers is coming back, sort of, by being <laughs> inside the Bay and becoming a website. Um, The Bay is sending out a fleet of food trucks that will be outside Zeller's locations when they open up this spring. So the food trucks will serve as fan favorites from the Zeller's Family Restaurant from back in the day. So unfortunately, you're not going to be able to sit on some cracked leather seats or some plastic stool and enjoy the beautiful aesthetics of nothingness but the amazing food that was inside the department store the choices of the zeller's food trucks will be uh, the big z burger fries and gravy hot chicken sandwich grilled cheese sandwich onion rings quesadilla poutine hot dog chicken fingers and a new veggie burger of course you got to have some sort of ugh. anyway um <laughs> the uh the favorites though like does that appease your favorites i feel like there needs to be some sort of montreal smoked meat Thing in there, yeah.
2: it, it's like, tough because I, I'm actually looking at as Zeller's menu right now. I have one open on my other computer. I'm looking at uh-huh. it, and some of the more advertised food items are the quesadilla and the Big Zed Burger. Also, take a guess. What do you think a Big Zed Burger cost at Zeller's? I don't know what year Today this menu is from. Day. Back in the day, yeah, this looks like oh, it was from the 2000s. This looks like 2000s. This menu. I guess I think three. This I still from, get three. Two thousands. Yeah, two thousands. Yeah, six ninety nine. Close seven forty nine for a double cheeseburger with tomato, onion, lettuce. You know, a basic cheeseburger and and uh, and all the fix-ins. So that's probably going to cost fifteen bucks now mm-hmm. at the food truck. Oh, if yeah, it's in a food I, truck, though, that's right. That's that's a good point. It can be pretty cheap if it's from the right. And food they might truck. just
0: do the burger separate from the fries because then you're in the food truck ordering because then you can order poutine. So I yes. think that. Um, I think you're going to see maybe like a, an 899 burger and then, but that doesn't include fries for five bucks or something to get you there.
2: Yeah. And I'm looking
0: for, what did you say? A Montreal smoked meat sandwich? Yeah. Like a smoked meat sandwich kind of thing. Uh, I feel like there was something there like that.
2: I see there is a veal parm sandwich on this menu. I remember that.
0: That looks. I always remember the stand. There always used to be a stand outside, like a sign that was outside the restaurant that would have, you know, the meal of the day, which never seemed to change never
2: yeah and and yeah the quesadilla the curly fries regular fries and yeah so i feel like they're mostly covered the one thing though is uh, i i will make a unfortunate confession i never actually ate at this restaurant never my parents never took me to eat here uh Mm -hmm. and so i don't know what this tastes like so i don't have nostalgia for the food but i even i can like picture the soup and sandwich you know, mm-hmm. the way that it looks and the diner kind of mm-hmm. style. And I think it's weird that they don't have a soup and sandwich thing.
0: Yeah. I well, the soup would spill in the truck when they drove it.
2: <laughs> that, that would be a disaster. Yes. <laughs> that's a fair point. Not, yeah, not yeah. too viscous. Yeah.
0: Yes. And you have bad parents, clearly, if they didn't take know, you to the yeah. Zeller store.
2: I know they're listening right. right now, too. So I'm sure that they- Probably. Have recognized their mistake in not taking me hmm. to a diner inside of a grocery store. Well, if they're if they're looking at your career
0: star. and the fact that you're working with me in the middle of the night, they're probably going, mm. Yeah, well, that's probably on us. Yep. Thanks, so, Mom. Thanks, go. Dad. All right. Are you okay with Ugh? Ugh. Ticketmaster.
2: Ticketmaster. Oh God. I can't. I used to love
0: Ticketmaster. Me too. I
2: I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It was like so easy to buy concert tickets. And now one concert, one place, all the concerts. It was great. Yeah, And and it's just, it's out of control. And I think it's because it's, it's too dangerous to allow people to resell on that website and the panic, the sheer terrifying panic of trying to get tickets to your show. I, this, I'm not joking when I had this, I when I was working at CHQR, I asked my boss if, if I could take a fifteen-minute break so I could buy tickets to a to Morrissey from the Smiths when he was coming, and I got the approval. Uh, I attempted and I did get Wait. it. I was so stressed, I got a nosebleed. I got a nosebleed trying to buy those tickets, and that is the Ticketmaster experience right there. That's very funny.
0: Yeah. Um, see, you were it's Morrissey made you so sad your nose cried. <laughs> yeah. But my Um, ears
2: didn't bleed; they were filled (laughs) with love. (laughs)
0: Um, The thing that the Ticketmaster thing that I think that we don't acknowledge though is that we, as the consumer, can just say no, right? And if we stop buying the tickets people they will get the message real quick because the artists will be like there's no one coming to my shows like people are boycotting my shows because these ticket prices are bananas but people keep buying the tickets and so Mm -hmm. it does lead you to believe that the demand for the tickets is that high that people are willing to pay astronomical prices people's lack of self-discipline right oh my god i gotta see the smiths because they're the smith like It's a concert. And I get it. They're they're like, it could be your dream to see that person. That's awesome Mm -hmm. that you're a fan. But really, people are still paying astronomical prices. Their lack of self discipline for money is not Ticketmaster's fault. And I hate the fact that you can't, what I hate about Ticketmaster is not the prices and that resale price. Because if people are going to post tickets up there for $5,000 and someone's stupid enough to pay for them, that's on them. But what I hate is that you can't get in, like, you cannot get access. In the old days, you used to be able, to, hey, get off my lawn. In the old days, you used to line up outside the door, and the mm-hmm. first hundred people got their first hundred pairs of tickets because they did the work and they lined up at the door. And then you have a deal: if you have an American Express card, you get a pre-purchase and all those things. Okay, that's good business. But it's, it's no, there's no access for the general public anymore. Like you cannot get on the website and try to get the tickets. And it's not because there's an arena for 15,000 people and there's 15,000 people trying to get tickets right now. That's not the case, right? There's probably 5,000 people that are trying to get tickets in the first 10 minutes. And there's 10,000 bots trying to buy tickets. And they're in there. They're buying the tickets. They're letting them buy the tickets. It's automated. There's nobody even on the other end. And you cannot click faster than a computer can click. You cannot do that and that's that's what i hate i don't care i don't care that they jack the prices i care the fact that nobody can get a legitimate price before a bot buys it and they jack the prices like it's false demand right it's it's not real demand now if the demand is there and people are willing to pay the price then hey man that's your your money you made it go ahead spend it it's like christmas time in playstations when people are spending $3000 for a playstation for their kids oh my god shake your head take them outside and have a snowball fight right like but at the same time people are paying it so as long as people keep paying that's fine but give people a chance to get them first mm-hmm. drives me nuts anyway down in the states politicians are firm together bipartisan support on one issue hating Ticketmaster. it seems uh, Senators tore Ticketmaster apart on Tuesday last week, questioning whether the company's dominance in the ticketing industry has led to the Taylor Swift ticket chaos from last year. Republicans and Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee also debated possible action, including making tickets non-transferable to cut down on scalping. That would be tough because, you know, people buy them for their friends, right? Some suggested it would also be necessary to split Ticketmaster and Live Nation, which merged in 2010. The hearing was something special. Please enjoy several U.S. senators making Taylor Swift puns and jokes during an actual Senate meeting about the, this massive business. Ticketmaster ought to look in the mirror and say, I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> uh, along with, uh, with with Senator Klobuchar as, as chair. Uh, to be honest, I had hoped um, uh, as of a few months ago to get the gavel back. But once again, she's chair captain, and I'm on the bleachers, so.
1: To have a strong capitalist system, you have to have competition. You can't have too much consolidation, something that unfortunately for this country, as a uh, ode to Taylor Swift, I will say, we know all too well.
0: A purchaser of a ticket, being able to sell it to someone else. I, a lot of people seem to think that somehow a solution. I think it's a it's a nightmare dressed like a daydream. And I I don't think we ought to go there. Karma's a relaxing thought, aren't you? Envious that for you it's not. That's all I've got to say. Oh
2: man, there's more. I get the like, points. Yeah, they got creative and they
0: were so proud of themselves.
2: You should've seen their faces. They were so yeah. proud. They were like, I feel this like this is gonna be a big hit with the youngins. Well, <laughs>
0: that's exactly it. They probably all called their nieces and said, yeah. hey. Well, can you give me some lyrics? And, um, and did it that way. The point, though, I still stand by is the fact that they talk about capitalism and competition and, and getting fair prices, but there's no access to fair prices when there's no limitations, right? And that's the crazy part. Senator Lindsey Graham um, was there. Um, we have a reputation, Taylor Swift, of fighting amongst ourselves, but we also have a reputation, Taylor Swift, of being able to solve problems for the nation, he said. It's a bit of a stretch and like a bit like of a stretch. Right? Like put on your your dockers and your New Balance shoes and make your way. Um are you okay with high school?
2: High school. I I consider myself lucky. I had a really good experience in high school. I had an amazing group of friends and i spent so much time in the drama club doing theater working on my craft it was it was a great time i i I feel truly blessed to have such strong good memories of it and uh yeah i know i'm kind of like in the minority on that one because so many of my friends hated high school but those are the friends who weren't in the drama club with me
0: (laughs) well high school was pretty free for me it wasn't difficult it was just sort of get through it and i had a job and another job and i played hockey and didn't a thing. I don't feel like it was a big deal. I It was high school. Um, yeah, some people peaked in their lives in high school. And when you look back at your your Facebook friends or whatever, however you are connected to them, you can see like people peak in very different ways. in like, <laughs> holy cow, it is not how you think it's going to go in high school. That's for sure. And some people wish they could go back to high school. Simpler times, that's for sure. And it might explain, explain how a woman in New Jersey tried, actually, to go back to class and fit in at the sprite young age of 29
1: here at new brunswick high school students are upset
0: at a school board meeting tuesday night they learned a 29 year old woman was arrested for using a fake birth certificate to enroll she attended school for four days police have charged that woman hugh
1: young shin with one count of providing a false government document with the intent to verify one's identity or age the school circulated a letter with her picture
2: she was pretending to be a freshman which is more surprising because i believe she doesn't look like a freshman at
1: the same time it was very unsafe for like the school and most of the students in there
0: students tell me even though she was only here for four days they still saw her in the classroom walking the halls and some of the students even got text messages from the woman asking to hang out i know some of the girls that i know um They, the girl did ask them to hang out on Commercial Avenue, but they never showed up and she started acting weird with them. But it's scary because you never know what could happen. Now, it's a lot of assumptions saying that it was dangerous, but I got to tell you, stranger danger alarm goes off for me too. That was from CBS too, right? It is weird, strange interactions. One student said, I asked her how old she was. She did something weird. She looked at me, looked away, looked back and walked off. I think that's a red flag and they need to think so too. As police continue their investigation, the school superintendent says the district will re-examine the enrollment process to better identify false documentation. I guess they don't have a lot of people that are trying to fake it. So, you know, the fake go to go back to school part. I don't know. If you want to go back to school, go back to school. But to me, yeah, the stranger danger is it's alarm is going danger. off. This is
2: you can do online courses, college, you know, polytechnics, great option if you, you know, but uh polytechnics if, is great. Yeah, when yeah. you're when you're outside the community 17 college. to 18 year old mark, you're yeah, high school is not for you anymore,
0: my friend. Yeah, yeah, just go like there's community college you can get back and you can hang out with all kinds of people, but <laughs>